0: So welcome back to the Equally Well podcast, everyone. It's Andre here from Mental Elf and I'm joined today by Linda Nazarko, who's Nurse Consultant in Physical Healthcare at the West London Mental Health NHS Trust. So Linda, maybe you could start off by telling us why you think people living with psychosis have a shorter life expectancy compared to the rest of the population. This mortality gap has been described as 15 to 20 years. Why is that?
1: Well, it's also been described as third world mortality in a first world in a first world country. Uh, and there are a number of factors. Uh, the first there are lifestyle factors and what we need what we call cardiometabolic factors. So if I start with the lifestyle factors first, uh, if you look at smoking, for example, people with mental with serious mental illness have higher rates of smoking than the general population. Uh, they smoke more cigarettes than the average person in the general population who smokes. And they have increased levels of nicotine addiction. So they find it much, much harder to give up smoking. And smoking has all sorts of adverse effects, such as raising your blood pressure, uh, making it more difficult for your body to deal with cholesterol uh, and affecting the circulation to the body as well. Uh, Then, of course, the general population is not exactly active, uh, but people with mental health problems are less active than the general population. They can feel marginalized. They can find it difficult to fit into the sort of activities that the general population would take part in because of their mental illness. They also find it difficult to plan things and to, to work through uh, certain, certain things that would be easier for the general population in terms of what i spoke about the cardiometabolic risk factors people with mental illness are more likely to have high blood pressure than the general population uh, their blood pressure is more likely to be severe severely high than the general population and they're more likely to have difficulty taking tablets for for blood pressure it's there's a long standing problem with the general population taking tablets for blood pressure. And that's even more pronounced in people uh, with severe mental illness. The trouble about blood pressure tablets is people don't feel unwell. They take a tablet and it doesn't make them feel any better. So, you know, people do question the the actual need to, to take tablets to control their blood pressure. But we do know that taking blood pressure tablets and controlling blood pressure reduces your risk of heart attack and stroke significantly. People with people with severe mental illness are more likely to be overweight or obese uh, than the general population. Uh, And that's because of two factors. One is uh, that they they tend not to exercise quite so much. They may make unhealthy food choices. And also the drugs which you use to treat mental illness actually affect the appetite and tend to tend to make it easier to put on weight. Uh, Then another factor that comes into the whole situation is cholesterol. People who are overweight, who don't exercise too much, uh, are, are not able to manage cholesterol so well as people who are healthy. So they're more likely to have high cholesterol. When people are overweight uh, and have high cholesterol, they're more likely to get type 2 diabetes. And this is the type of diabetes that 92% of the population suffer from, which is caused by being overweight. Uh, so all of these factors turn into this really a downward spiral, uh, which make which is very difficult. And it's not just that people with mental illness have shorter lives, but actually their lives are impaired by their by their long-term conditions and they find it more difficult to manage those long-term conditions and they're more likely to suffer all sorts of adverse effects from diabetes.
0: It's really interesting when you look at the kind of health of the nation work that's happened over the last 20 or 30 years and the improvements that we've seen Um, in the general population in relation to cardiovascular health and diabetes and obesity and, you know, some of those improvements have been more pronounced than others and in some cases there's been um, uh, less improvements. But what's happened in people living with mental illness has been very much more patchy. We haven't seen those same improvements um, across the board. What what are you doing in your trust to ensure that people living with mental illness get the same physical health care needs met as the rest of the population?
1: Well, I think that they need very special care because of their difficulties. Then we need to provide care in ways that are tailored for people who have mental health problems. Uh, What we started with is we started with a physical health strategy and that set out our proud, bold aim that we would actually enable people who had mental health problems to experience health care and health outcomes that were no that were not inferior to that of the general population so so we set out our strategy and we looked at what we were going to concentrate on over the next few years we then used that to write our physical health care policy and our physical health care policy sets out very clearly the expectations of medical staff and nursing staff in relation to investigation and detection of any uh, physical health problems. Now, sometimes our patients don't like to go and use mainstream GPs. Some of them aren't even registered with mainstream GPs. So we try to identify the problems. And then if they are inpatients, then we would actually start them on treatment. If they're they're community patients, what we have done is we've set up some physical health clinics and that is work that is in progress at the moment the physical health care clinics in the community are twofold there is a virtual clinic where we gather all of the information that we require uh, to to actually figure out where this patient's health needs lie and then uh, we if we haven't got and then we ask the GP or we intervene with the patient ourselves. Uh, And the type of interventions that we might do is we identify that someone is smoking 40 cigarettes a day. Uh, We would uh, we would ask them if they'd like to help to give up and we would refer them to our local smoking cessation service, for example. Uh, If those things have not been effective because we would check up on the patient, then we might ask the GP to consider prescribing a drug that has been used to help people uh, stop smoking. And so we would do so with with all of the other uh, other aspects that we identify. Uh, then we actually hold physical healthcare clinics, and I'm supporting our community teams to develop those clinics. And there, where we actually get patients on site, and we, you know, check the blood pressure, check the height, check the weight. Uh, check cholesterol, check their blood sugar, or in some cases do ECGs or ask the patient to go and have blood tests and ECGs. And then look at that whole dashboard uh, of their physical health and then work with the GPs to address the issues that we've identified.
0: How much do you think physical health care gets lost in the system generally. So it's interesting to talk about kind of specialist services that you offer in secondary care, but thinking about primary care generally across the board. Do you think mental illness gets in the way of physical health needs?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's that whole issue of what's known as diagnostic overshadowing, where when somebody has a mental illness, then they say, ah, oh, So the patient has schizophrenia. So I'm not actually going to look at their tummy because they're complaining about abdominal pain. It's all a manifestation of schizophrenia. So we've all got a very, very long way to go in actually seeing the whole person uh, and saying, you know, we're going to treat the mind and the body as one whole person. So we, we have a way to go. And that's about culture change as much as anything else.
0: Yeah, and it's about equality, I guess, isn't it, more than anything else as well? Just making sure that we're providing the same kind of service for everyone.
1: I don't think we actually need to provide the same sort of service for everyone. I think that some people have what, for want of a better word, we call special needs. So if, if for example, someone has an eye condition, uh, then people understand that they can't see too well. So they provide them with letters that are in large type. If someone is deaf then there are special provisions made for them. And in the way that we recognise that people have, people have difficulties, then we need to also recognise that mental health patients have difficulties and treat them in a special way because of their difficulties.
0: So your, your trust was one of the first to join Equally Well UK. Why do you think this is such an important collaborative? Why are you so keen to get involved in this?
1: I think that there, there are two, two issues. One is that we want to share what we've done uh, and because I think it may help others and also because we want to find out all of the other wonderful work that is going on there so that we can learn from people. And, and I think also that there is a strength in numbers. So if you actually have a group Uh, that is comprised of a number of healthcare providers and also people who and also charities and people who represent people with mental health problems then there's there's a, a strength and a power that one organization just can't have on its own.
0: I've been blogging about the research on the mortality gap in severe mental illness for seven years since I started my mental health blog and um, it's depressing because every time a new paper comes out, it shows that actually it's getting worse rather than better. Do you think there's a kind of seed change now on this issue in the UK? Do you think we're finally getting together so that we can solve this problem?
1: I think I think we have to reach a tipping point. In anything, you have to reach a tipping point. And if you looked at the mortality and morbidity in mental health and just took away the mental health label and put cancer there would be outrage. People would be asking questions in the Houses of Parliament. People would be taken to the streets. So because it's considered to be unacceptable for cancer. So mental health is just as important as cancer or diabetes or the the other issues. So I think having a group that will promote this will help. I think within our tribe. We've actually reached tipping point because some, when you come into a new role and people are going physical health, this is a mental health trust, then it's it's a bit like trying to push a boulder up a mountain. And then all of a sudden, something just changes and you hit this tipping point and you think, what happened? Suddenly, the culture has changed. The attitude has changed. And I think this is what Equally Well gives us the opportunity to do is to actually push that boulder up the hill till we actually reach tipping point and i think there is a feeling that the door is slowly opening and you know equally well will help us to get that door fully open and to actually move things forward and you know it's actually going to save money and save lives and enrich lives and how anybody can argue with that i don't know